And Drew, always love catching up with you. Hate that it's under these uh, circumstances. We lose uh, Gil Brandt at age 91. And Drew, I'm sure you're like a lot of people. It's just hard to imagine him not being around because he's been around forever around the Cowboys and everything. So, Drew, I appreciate you being on with us. It's uh, great to get to visit with you, and I'm I'm sorry about Gil. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's still 91 years, and you're still very saddened by his passing because you still think that he's gone too soon after 91 years of being here and leaving his mark, especially on the Dallas Cowboys in this area and everything else. And the reason you feel like he's gone too soon at 91 years uh, of age is because he still has so much up in that head of his, mm-hmm. you know, the stats, the information, the thing. You just talk to him. He still he was still doing a radio show on Sirius XM, you know, giving updates on the coming season and calling players' names out and stuff like that. So, uh, with that in mind, he never seemed like he was mm-hmm. 91 years old, or even when he went in the Hall of Fame at 86 years old, because he was still. Gil Brandt to all of us. And the only thing different, he was in a wheelchair as opposed to walking up on us. But that didn't slow him down at all, man. Not at all. What What was the first time you remember either getting a phone call, a letter from Gil? Some of the scouts would send letters out. Um, I mean, you were one of the greatest undrafted players, obviously, in NFL history. When, when, did, when did Gil first come on your radar? Uh, it was the uh, second night uh, of the uh, NFL draft, and, you know, it was 17 rounds back then. So it was pretty late at night when I got a phone call. I got three phone calls. I got a call from the Green Bay Packers. I got a call from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I got a call from the uh, Dallas Cowboys. My coach at Tulsa was my third head coach in four years there with F.A. Drive, <laughs> and F.A. told the seniors that, if you, even if you don't get drafted, it might not be that bad because if you sign as a free agent, you might be able to pick what you think is the best opportunity for you to make that particular ball club as opposed to being, you know, penciled in somewhere through the draft. So I kept that in mind after I got those calls. But then I got a call from uh, – it wasn't Gil. It was uh, – uh, God, I can't, I can't believe I can't think of his name uh, i'm drawing the blank right now matt but it was a cowboy scout mm-hmm. and he was in town how did he know to be in town he was in tulsa he was staying at the camelot hotel in tulsa, <laughs> and he asked me can i come down there because he wanted to sign me to a dallas cowboy contract and you know, I'm from New Jersey. I wasn't much of a Dallas Cowboy fan. Growing up, I was a Giant and Jet fan. And, oh, Bob Griffin. Excuse me. God bless you, Bob Griffin. That's who the scout's name. Like, you know, when you're my age, Matt, you got to give a little leeway to <laughs> memory lapses. That's okay. <laughs> but Bob Griffin was a scout. and But, I, you know, I really wasn't a Cowboy fan. The only Cowboy uh, player I liked was Bob Hayes. But these still were the Dallas Cowboys. And to me, they mean a little more than the Green Bay Packers, even though that's a storied franchise and Pittsburgh later became a, 
a storied franchise, winning four Super Bowls. But these were the Dallas Cowboys and Tom Landry. And when Bob Griffin called me at my closer apartment the second day of the draft, it was about 11 o'clock at night, asked me, can I come to the Camelot Hotel on I-44? Uh, they want to sign me to a contract. So I got, in, got into my 1954 Ford uh, car that Marcus Haynes, the great Marcus Haynes, gave me and my wife, Marcia, at that time. <laughs> And I drove down to the Camelot Hotel. Matt had stick shift on the column. There's a reason I used to walk to classes instead of driving that car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> number one, it stood out. It was yellow with a white top. And number two, I couldn't handle that stick shift on the column, you know. But I mm-hmm. bucked down there and they offered me a contract. Uh, uh, they said they wanted me to sign. You had a contract. Gil Grant gave them instructions, uh, Bob Griffin instructions to sign me. And uh, so I said, what's the contract? He said, the base salary is going to be fourteen five, and the signing bonus is going to be $150. And the next thing I said is, okay. <laughs> 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 I didn't hold out for $200, Matt. <laughs> I wanted a shot in the NFL, and I wanted a mm-hmm. shot with the Dallas Cowboys. And yeah. I think I made the right decision right there. Back then, there were so many undrafted players. But what he did with Bob and Cornell and Rayfield, that was what was so amazing because he was doing that, Drew, wasn't he, before a lot of other scouts and teams were doing that, the historically black colleges and universities. Uh, Gill started recruiting even basketball players. And, yeah. and some of those players ended up becoming great for the Cowboys. But he was, he was kind of a trendsetter in that area, it seemed. Oh, without a doubt. You know, he, he looked for the other things. Everybody looked at the measurables, okay? The things that everybody's looking the height, weight, 40 time, bench press, all that kind of stuff. Gil was looking for different things that you might have done, even in high school, you know? You might have been a quarterback in high school. Now you're a receiver. or You might have been a good basketball player in high school and you played football as well. Or on the baseball team, you hit, you know, 500 home runs and had a great arm. He knew all that kind of stuff about you. And so he did a little more research than most of the scouts and people that were studying the personnel. So that's why you go to – what, Utah and find a Cornell Green and say, this guy look, looks like he could be a defensive back because he might have played some football mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in, in high school and stuff like that. But And then you go, like Rayfield Wright, you know? I mean, he was a basketball player. You say, well, okay, maybe a tight end. What does Coach Landry do? He brings him in, and uh, he ends up being an all-pro and Hall of Fame right tackle. Uh, uh-huh. Even Chuck Alley. He's just going into the Hall of Fame. He was a phenomenal athlete at West Virginia. And a lot of people didn't know all the great things he did for the uh, Mountaineers uh, over there at at West Virginia as an all-around athlete. So he looked for different things. Even Drew Pearson, even though I didn't have the measurables, he saw some other things. He knew that I made the transition from quarterback to receiver. So that might have told him something about my intelligence level. You know, having played that position at quarterback and uh, starting my sophomore year and being a team captain and all that my senior year, then moving to wide receiver, didn't catch many passes, 
caught 55 passes in, in two seasons, but Matt, I had a 21-yard average for catch. And that's what <laughs> Gil Brick saw. And he saw everything that I was going to, even though it wasn't many. I caught everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So he saw all these kind of things that other scouts w- couldn't see. And that not just me, because when I went to training camp, Matt, there were 17 draft choices and about 80 other guys, free agents, just like me. Okay. He's the one that started that trend of bringing in as many free agents, having his scouts canvas the country at the end of draft, signing free agents for $150 or even less (laughs) like myself and uh, bringing all these guys in the training camp and throwing it on the wall and see what sticks. And that's how Cliff Harris got his opportunity. That's how Drew Pearson got my opportunity. And what happened? We end up being, uh, we end up being uh, uh, Hall of Famers and Ring of Honor guys. But Cliff Harris was an excellent track guy at Washita. A lot of people didn't know that. He ran the hurdles and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. they just thought of him a football, but Gil seen all these other intangibles, things that we were doing, even though we had, didn't have the measurables to get drafted and stand out that way. He saw other things that we can do uh, uh, in the game of football that if we were given the opportunity, maybe we can have those things showcased and have those things, those talents stand out and, uh, all we needed was the opportunity as far as Cliff and I were concerned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Drew Pearson on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas, Drake Toll alongside as well, Aaron Sexton. And by the way, Cliff and Charlie were riding those motor uh, bikes too, weren't they? Like, was it B? It was, <laughs> they were like in the off season. People, I don't think, remember that, that they were doing some like motocross leagues uh, when y'all would be in the off season, weren't they? Do you remember that? Yeah, we did a lot of things. We had to work, you know. When the season ended, the check stopped. We had to go to work. My rookie year, I cut two touchdown passes in the uh, the loss to the Los Angeles Rams in the uh, second playoff game uh, that year, my in '73 a championship game, and uh, excuse me, in a first playoff game against the Rams, and uh, we we end up uh, losing the next week to the uh, Minnesota Vikings in a championship game, and. Uh, we lost that Sunday. We had the Monday off and Tuesday, Harvey Martin, Billy Joe Dupree and myself were at the Zales Corporation in their offices without a meeting, without a planned meeting or anything, just sitting there waiting for the, the big boy, the big boss to come in and ask him for a job. <laughs> we were selling sporting goods stuff for common born sporting goods stuff uh, uh, as soon as the season ended. So that was mm-hmm. the way it was back then. And and, and uh, Harvey back there in the shoe section, bending well, over, trying to Harvey. help people. <laughs> Big spy trying to put shoes on old ladies and stuff like that. <laughs> Me and Billy Joe would be sitting back there laughing. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, good stuff. oh, man. Talking to Drew Pearson on the Matt Mosley Show. Drake, go ahead. Hey, Drew, you know, growing up and watching the NFL Network or, or reading stuff that Gil Brandt did, felt like he was the original money ball, but in football. And he'd say stuff that you think, oh, that's brash. That's a big take right there. But he'd back it up, and he was usually right. I mean, does that encapsulate what, what you knew of him even past when he was working with the Cowboys in the NFL and when he went into media? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he, his knowledge of the game and personnel was just, uh, you know, tr- tremendous. What made him great was that he found – he didn't find just anybody. He just found the right – even when we had 100 people, 100 rookies in camp and stuff like that, you know, when I was there. Uh, the, the, but they were all the right people that Coach Landry was looking for. And that's why he was, uh, he became so valuable to the Cowboys through Coach Landry because he was finding that talent Coach Landry was looking for. And that talent consisted of four things, character, intelligence, passion, and then talent. You know, if you had the first three, Coach Landry could coach you up to be, and some talent, coach you up to be a Hall of Famer. But Gil Brandt, you know, had all this kind of knowledge and stuff and, that's what made him a good broadcaster when he got out of the game and yeah. he did it so long because his information was endless. And you wonder how he uh, uh, remembered all that information. It's, you know, and, and then, you know, I came in in 73. The first thing I had to learn after I made the team was how to read a computer printout. Okay. This is in 1973. <laughs> you know, the computer printouts were about biggest, you know, some of the players, I mean, they were huge, but you know, we're studying tendencies of our opponents back then that Gil Brandt implemented that. And in doing that, he learned about all the, uh, he didn't just have this stuff accumulated and print it out and give it to coach Landry. He was learning it and studying it himself. You know, that's why when you saw him during Cowboy football games, where was he? He wasn't in no press box. He was standing on the sideline like yeah. an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, yeah, he ain't doing nothing. But no, he was doing something. What he was doing, he was charting the plays, down in distance, hash mark, all these different things. He probably even put the weather conditions down, the wind blowing in, the way the flag was blowing in, stuff like that. And then I found out later when I was coaching, that information he was charting on that, that notebook pad, uh, that legal pad, uh, Coach Landry in the meeting was asking for that. He says, where's the pad so I can chart the plays as I watch them, you know, and break down the films. So he was doing valuable stuff there on the sideline that people don't even realize. They just thought he was there for show. But that led to more knowledge about our, our players, more knowledge about all the other players around the league. And, and you couple that with just what he knew, period. Uh, because uh, he was so intent on knowing everything about everybody, uh, you know, that made him a good broadcaster and why he was able to do it so long and do it so well. And that's why I say, even though he's gone at 91, there's still so much knowledge in that head, you know, that it's gone too soon because we, we, wanna, we want to uh, delve into that a little mm-hmm. more. We want to hear more from him. You know, it, it, and, it's uh, like I guess that'll be never ending, guys. Yeah. I mean, players would get mad at Tex. I don't know if they ever viewed Gill like that because Gill wasn't always doing the contracts, was he? He was recommending who the players needed to be. He might have offered. He might have given you your offer. But uh, Tex, there was some there were some tough ones that were it took a while to get past. There were some negotiations. So Tex wasn't always beloved. I mean, by a lot of you guys, maybe he was. But he wasn't always that way. I guess Gil, it was a little different with him, right, because he was bringing in the players. 
Gil, Gil, Gil was doing all the negotiation. Okay. Tex was the final set. Okay. And the reason I know that, because uh, going to be into my last season, I was going to hold out. Okay. And I was talking all this noise. I, ain't gonna, I went to trading camp because I always thought it's important. If a lot of these players hold out and they stay at home, well, they forget about you. Okay. Because it's business as usual in training camp just without you. So I wanted to be there. I wanted to show them what they would miss if I didn't sign this new contract and the new extension I was, uh, I was asking for. And I was threatening. And after we left training camp, I said, this might be it for me and all this kind of stuff. And Gil wasn't budging. My agent uh, at the time, uh, uh, David Falk, uh, he wasn't budging. And so we get back to Dallas and we're getting ready to play this preseason game. And we're at the practice field working out. Tex comes over there. And he comes up to me and says, hey, you want to get this done? I said, yes. The next hour, okay? The next hour I had my contract done, okay? <laughs> so Gil did a lot of the legwork, okay? <laughs> and all that, being the tough guy, the, you know, and trying yeah. to hold down the salaries, which he did great at. And Matt, when I retired from the Cowboys and got into business and sold headwork for 23 years, a lot of the lessons I learned from Gil Grant in negotiating and dealing with player personnel and business personnel and stuff like that, those lessons I applied in my business life after football. You know, I learned a lot yeah. about marketing from Tex Ram. I learned a lot about marketing from Tex Ram. I learned all about personnel and negotiating and uh, all that from uh, uh, Gil Grant and then yeah. from Coach Landry learning how to manage a team, leadership, and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I didn't even take business courses at Tulsa. I was just trying to get through. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, got a, I got a PhD in business yeah. education, being around those Dallas Cowboys, including being around Gil Brandt. So that's yeah. why, you know, in my hall speech, I was indebted to Gil Brandt yeah. for having well, the innovation of system to Mm-hmm. throw out a lot on the wall and give a guy like Drew Pearson and Cliff Harris a chance. And uh, if he, if that system wasn't in place then, uh, Matt, you would never heard of me. You know, I would have been one of those lost players that played four years at Tulsa and then went on to coach <laughs> somewhere or whatever. You wouldn't have me on your radio show today. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I'd like so to Matt, think, Drew, I'd, uh, we would have met somehow, but I'm glad you did go on to have that amazing Hall of Fame career. Drew, thank you. Uh, a, a tough day, but also a day to celebrate an amazing innovator, someone in the NFL. Drew, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You got it. Anytime. Thanks, Matt. Quickly. You bet. There he goes. Drew Pearson, who usually ends with a a hut-hut, but uh, a little bit of more of a somber day to day. We got the uh, University of Houston athletic director, Chris Pesman, joins us next. Your leader in high school sports, ESPN, Central Texas. This is what Go 